So today we're actually starting a new series that we're going to be kicking off today. And uh, throughout this year, 2023, we've been talking about, who wants to say, scream it out, scream it out. Faith. faith. We've been talking about faith every way possible. And uh, it's been a blessing to me to study and prepare for it. And I've heard from multiple folks throughout the year, even how just the different messages have helped them go through the things that they're facing. Because again, like I just said, we all face stuff. And in order to get through the stuff, we need faith. And so we actually did this series uh, for about seven weeks that was called Faith Activators, things that would activate our faith. Now, I want us to think of faith for a moment as a fire, as a flame, if you would, okay? And so just to give you a little visual of it, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to light this candle here. And uh, when I light this candle, I want us to think of that. I was standing right under the air conditioner. That was hard. <laughs> we got here this candle that's on, right? And I use this lighter. I lit the candle. The flame is there. It's giving a fragrance. It's got all the stuff going on. And there's different ways, different methodologies to go ahead and turn this off. I can just go ahead and blow out this candle. And that's it. It's done. There's another thing that I can do once I turn it back on. All these candles, you know, when we buy a candle, they come with this lid. That lid, if you put it over the top of the candle, you're going to see that it slowly deprives the candle of oxygen to the moment where it's extinguished. Notice one turned off quicker than the other. I blew the one and immediately this one, it was a slow, gradual depriving of oxygen to the flame where it turned it off. We might, some of you might have at your house a candle snuffer, you know, like, like in Survivor, where Jeff probes, he comes out to the person that comes with every, anybody here seen Survivor? At the end of it, when they vote him out of tribal council, he goes and he gets there and he says, the tribe has spoken, poof, and he snuffs it out. And here's the reality. Every single one of us face things in our life that will extinguish our faith that will extinguish the flame. And as we equate faith to a flame, that this series that we're going to be in for the next several weeks is called this, Faith Extinguishers. Faith Extinguishers. And we're going to be talking about different things that can extinguish our faith. But I, I, I almost want to start with a caution, and it's this. Satan, who the book of John says, comes to do three things. To steal, to kill, and destroy. He works in condemnation. And so as we get ready to launch into this series about things that can extinguish our faith, I want us to be aware that this is not a message or series of messages of condemnation as to why things in our life, our faith was extinguished, but better yet as a warning how to look and see the ways that the enemy will try to extinguish our faith. Because the enemy can use this message today and the ones to follow to try to say, that's why you didn't get your miracle. And bring condemnation as opposed to lust, be able to look and see, now I know something, a way the enemy is going to operate so that I can fight it. Are you with me? Amen. 
Now, as we did this series called Faith Extinguishers, or we're going to start it, I want to recap a little bit about what faith activators or what faith is. If, if you've been here multiple times this year, you've heard me define it. Faith is complete trust in someone or something. Faith is complete trust in someone or something. And we defined a faith activator as an action that activates our faith. That's what we did, that whole entire series. Things that would activate our faith. We spoke about giving as something that activated faith. We spoke about obedience as something that activated faith. Building, when God said to build, was something that activated faith. And we went through a whole slew of different things that activated our faith. And because I'm a definitions guy, I went and looked up the word extinguisher. And the word extinguisher says this, a person or thing that extinguishes. A person or thing that extinguishes. Now, I know a couple of you chuckled because you know that me, as a definitions guy, I really do not like when a definition uses its own word in defining it. Right? Like, what's an extinguisher? A thing that extinguishes. So I went ahead and looked up what does it mean to extinguish and this is what I found in the dictionary. To put out, put an end to, to obscure or eclipse. One more time. To put out, put an end to, to obscure or eclipse. And so when you get that faith is complete trust in someone or something, and we say that we're going to talk about faith extinguishers, I'm defining a faith extinguisher like this. Jot it down. Something that extinguishes puts out, puts an end to our faith. Something that extinguishes, puts out, obscures, puts an end to our faith. And I gave you the example of the candle. I want us to think of our faith as a flame. And not only am I thinking of our faith as a flame, how many of you know that it is more difficult to put out a fire that is bigger? You know, I just put out that candle pretty easily. A few years ago, my father-in-law turned 80 years old, and uh, we got everybody over at the house, and we were going to cut him a cake, and my daughters thought it was a great idea. They were like, he's 80. Let's put 80 candles, Dad. And we said, let's do it, right? I'm like, all right, now let's not get an eight and a zero. Let's do it. So we got candles, and, and it wasn't a very large cake because it was just the immediate family that was there. It was a smaller cake, and we had to figure out a way to put all 80 candles, and we got 80 candles on the cake, and we turned one on and started turning on the other candles. And wouldn't you know that 80 candles right next to each other in close proximity, what they became was one giant torch. We sang happy birthday very quickly. <laughs> My father-in-law tried to extinguish his cake with every ounce of fiber in his being. And we had to take the cake outside. I'm pretty sure we actually ran and got the hair dryer because the huffing and puffing was not working. And in the same way, I want us to understand something this morning. New in the faith might be easier for your faith to get extinguished. You got to be aware of that. Been a long time in the walk of God, but you're not spending the time with God that you should be spending. You're not going to have a strong flame. You look at right now the fact that the air quality in New York and in Connecticut and in all these parts of North America and the north part of it has, is struggling mightily because of wildfires happening in Canada. 
that they haven't been able to get under control. The bigger the blaze, the more difficult to extinguish it. And this is why we always have to feed our faith because as our faith grows, it will be more difficult to extinguish. However, we need to understand that if we're not aware of the way the enemy works, he will work hard at extinguishing our faith. Now, I want to get into the word because it's important for us to understand what the word of God says. And we base things on the word of God. I want you to start with me this morning in Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter number 3. I'm going to read to you starting in verse number 16, but let me give you a synopsis of what Hebrews here is referring to. It's referring to when the children of Israel leave Egypt and are not able to get into the land of promise. And here in Hebrews chapter 3, verse number 16, it says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt, led by Moses, and with, whom he, and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, who bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Verse 19. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. They were unable to enter because of unbelief. Now, I defined in the dictionary, unbelief is this, an absence of faith. And what happened in this story? The unbelief did not allow them to enter God's promise. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Unbelief will keep us from God's promise. Unbelief will keep us from God's promise. When you think about the children of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Before that, so we have 400 years when they get out. Before those 400 years, we know that we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? So we're going backtracking. We go Jacob, Isaac, then Abraham. In that span from start of slavery of the 400 years to Abraham is roughly probably about another three to 400 years. So let's say to be safe with the estimation, 600 years, these people have been hearing God has a land of promise for you. And they believe it. It's why they teach it to their children and their children's children. God promised it to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Yet when they get out of Egypt and they get to enter the land of promise, the Bible says that God tells Moses, send 12 spies into the land, one from each of the tribe, and have them spy out the land. Have them see if it's good. Have them see the fruit and bring some of the fruit back. Tell, of, tell us if the people there are strong or weak, if their lands are mighty and fortified or easy to access. Come and give us a report. And the Bible says that they spied out the land for 40 days. At the end of 40 days, when they come back from spying the land and the valley of Eshkol, 
it says that they actually brought back a cluster of grapes. And the cluster of grapes was carried between two people. Last time I went to Publix. (laughs) Or Costco. Or anywhere else. I carry multiple clusters of grapes in a little box. These people came back with a cluster of grapes. And the Bible is clear. It says a single cluster of grapes between two people. So they come back and they start to give the report. And as they're giving the report, they say the land is great. It truly flows milk and honey. Look at the grapes that we just brought. Everything is good. However, there's giants. However, it's rough. However, and they start bringing all the things, which by the way, Moses didn't ask a report of. And Caleb, he stands up and he says, enough. Let's all arise at once and go take the land for God promised it and he will give it to us. Joshua echoes the sentiment, but 10 other spies, they look and they start causing a rebellion amongst the people of Israel. So much so that they get and they get together and they say, let us find a new leader to take us back to the slavery of Egypt. Conservative estimates, 600 years hearing the promise. They're at the entrance of the promise. And a group of people extinguished their faith to walk in. And so they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years. The Bible says God gave them that as a punishment. One year for every day that they spied out the land. This tells me, watch, they left Egypt, entered that wilderness, crossed the Red Sea, water came out of the brook. 40 days they spied out the land. They should have overtaken the land within three months. They should have entered into the promised land. When you calculate them leaving, crossing the Red Sea, 40 days of spying the land. They should have started conquering in three months. They wandered for 40 years until everyone that did not believe died. And the new generation was able to enter. Unbelief will keep us from entering God's promises, from receiving God's promises. There are promises of God for us to walk into here on earth. See, many believers, they have no doubt that faith in Jesus gives them eternal life. But did you notice that God didn't just promise to Abraham, you guys are going to be with me in eternity. God promised them a physical land to enter into. And there are miracles and blessings that God has for every single one of you, you watching online, for my wife and I, that unbelief hinders are walking into to possess. We just came back from a youth retreat. We had a great time at the youth retreat. God reached these young people, excuse my voice a little bit, preaching eight times in four days. I've been living off Ricola for the last week. 
Yeah, Ricola. Some of you are like, what's Ricola? Have you seen the commercial? Now you know. It's like a halls. I prefer the honey ones. Yeah, I got one right here. I probably had about 12 today. And one of the things that we did, aside from the eight sessions, we, we did several Q&A sessions. I forgot to count those. And we divided the boys and the girls day one that we did that. Then we divided the older boys from the younger boys and the older girls from the younger girls and so on and so forth. But one of the questions that came to me from one of the older boys, they wrote it out on paper, was this. Do churches that do not believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, are those churches false churches? I thought that was a very good, profound question from a teenager. So I didn't address it with the group. I addressed it from the pulpit to the whole camp. And this is what I said. Yes and no. Watch. Are there false churches? Absolutely. But is automatically a church that does not believe that the Holy Spirit is in operation today, does that make it a false church? No. It just makes it a church that doesn't believe in the power of God, which is why it's usually a dead church. They are believing for salvation, what Jesus paid on the price, but they believe that the Holy Spirit had an expiration date, and that's not biblical. There is no expiration date for the Holy Spirit. It's why we believe and pray for healing. It's why we believe and pray for deliverance. It's why we believe and pray for God to do things. Where he gives words of knowledge, words of wisdom. One of the boys at the camp, I prayed over him for something. I had never seen him, never met him before. And he comes after me and he says, who told you about this? How did you know this? And I said, I just, when I hugged you, I said what God put on my heart. So is a church that denies the working of the Holy Spirit being in operation today, is it a false church? Not necessarily, but it is a church that is powerless because of unbelief because unbelief is keeping them from walking into the blessings that God has for today again the promise to Abraham wasn't just heaven it was I'm going to give this land this territory to your children's children's children when they come out of slavery he actually told them in the book of Genesis that they were going to be slaves for 400 years Abraham believed it so much that when his wife died, he bought a piece of the land in the land of promise to already lay claim to it. And that's why I write it that way. Unbelief will keep us from God's promise. You and I miss out on things that he has promised, and the scripture is filled of promises for us, for us and for our children. And we miss out at times for lack of belief, absence of faith in that area. Watch, go with me to Mark chapter 9. 
Mark chapter number 9. Give you a second to look it up. Mark chapter number 9. In Mark chapter 9, I'm going to start reading in verse 14. It says, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. This is, by the way, after Jesus had been on the Mount of Transfiguration with James, John, and Peter. So he, with his three closest disciples, had gone away to pray. When they come back, they find the other nine disciples dealing with stuff with these people, okay? Just want to make sure you're caught up with me. Verse 15, immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring them to me. Verse 20. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, the spirit saw Jesus, right? Immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. Watch this now. Watch, 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 watch. Look what the father, this is the father talking to Jesus, says. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And look at what Jesus replies in verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can. There's a pause there. There's, a, actually, there's an exclamation point. There's an inflection. This is the person saying, if you can do anything, have compassion. Jesus' response wasn't, all right, sure. No, Jesus' response was, if you can. He continues to say, all things are possible for one who believes. In other words, Jesus is saying to him, I can do it. If you can believe. Look at the next verse. This man looks to Jesus. Right? Or, or, well, let's, let's finish th that part. The, uh, uh, the, oh, yeah. Verse 24. Sorry. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe. Not enough. I believe. Help get rid of the rest of the unbelief in me. We all deal with unbelief coming. Do we stay there? Do we let it extinguish the flame? And this is again. This man looks at Jesus. 
and says, if you can, have mercy, have compassion. And Jesus doesn't say, but what? If you can. So then Jesus cast out the demon. We can finish reading it. Verse 25, Jesus saw the crowd come running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never come again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Watch, jot this down. Unbelief will stop the flow of power. Unbelief will stop the flow of power. Think about this for a second. These disciples had previously been commissioned by Jesus and sent out in groups of two to heal people, to cast out demons. And Bible says that they had returned with joy saying, at your name, demons went out, yet they couldn't do this one. Unbelief blocks the flow of power. Let's put it to you this way. Any of you remember at school, perhaps doing a science fair project or someone in your class at one point in time doing a science fair project of an electric circuit where they would get a battery, put a cable on the positive of the battery, maybe attach it to a switch or straight to a light bulb, and then uh, uh, put another cable from the switch to the light bulb or from the light bulb to the negative of the battery. When you put both cables on the battery, it does what? Complete a circuit, and the light bulb turns on. Watch. If you take one cable off, even though the battery has power and the light bulb had a filament that worked, an open circuit didn't allow the power to flow. Same thing with the light switch. There is power. Flip the switch, closes circuit, power shines to the light, light turns on. Church, unbelief disconnects it and opens the circuit where even though there's power, and even though there's a bulb, the power can't reach it. And that's one of the extinguishers that the enemy tries to use against us to get us to not believe, to have an absence of faith. Unbelief will stop the flow of power. Leave a marker right there at Mark 3 and flip a couple of pages over to chapter number 6. Chapter number 6. Verse number one of chapter number six says, he went away from there and came to his hometown. So he, being Jesus, went away from there. Where is there? Well, let me tell you. If you read the passage right before that, it's when Jairus had come to Jesus and said, my daughter is dead, but if you go and touch her, she'll be made well. Jesus said, I'll go. It's the same passage that when Jesus was walking, a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years had said to herself, this is what she believed, if I solely touch the hem of his garment, I'll be made well. She went through the whole entire crowd. I always get the depiction, leaving the fireworks at Magic Kingdom after Disney World. There's a huge crowd. She made her way through the crowd 
touched his garment and received her healing. And Jesus said, who touched me? Disciples are like, what do you mean who touched you? There's a throng of people here. Everybody's trying to get to the monorail. Like, it's full. What do you mean? Who touched me? Jesus said, power left me. Wife, watch now, watch now. She believed if I touch, when she touched, completed circuit, power flew. Then he continues to go with Jairus to Jairus' house. And he says to the girl, Talita Kumi, get up, arise. And this girl who has dead wakes up and goes to eat. When he leaves there, this is where we are now. I just want to make sure you're caught up with me. You're with me, right? When he leaves there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. I know who he is. Like, I, I played ball with them when we were kids, right? Like, they're like, they're like, they knew Jesus. He was the carpenter. Jesus, in verse 4, says, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Now, look at chapter, verse number 5. If you've got a Bible, underline it. Look at what it says. And he could do no mighty work there. And he could do no mighty work there. Jesus, son of God, creator of the universe, raised Lazarus from the dead, just raised up this little girl from the dead. The woman with the issue of blood touched him. The lame, what, the lepers, right? Like you're thinking about everything Jesus has done. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Watch, write this down. This is imperative. We need to remember this. Unbelief will limit faith. Unbelief will limit faith. Unbelief will limit faith. Take it a step further. Are you ready? Someone else's unbelief can limit our faith at work. Someone else's unbelief can limit our faith at work. Jesus is the son of God, correct? Jesus had just performed all these miracles, right? But he couldn't do it where the people didn't believe. Let's take it a step further. The story of Jairus' daughter, what did Jesus do when he got there? It says that they had all the professional mourners, the wailers, the people were there crying. The girl is dead. The girl is dead. And Jesus said to them all, she's not dead. She's only sleeping. They mocked him and he kicked them out. And it says when he had put everybody out except for mom and dad, dead girl, Peter, James, and John. 
Can you catch the fact? Twelve disciples. Jesus only took the three into the room who had the faith to believe for the miracle. What we just read in Matthew 9, I'm sorry, Mark 9, had just come back from the Mount of Transfiguration. And who were the only ones in the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John. Jesus knew there was a limit, and the limit was who he surrounded himself with. Someone else's unbelief can limit our faith at work. This is why it's imperative. Who do we share stuff that we're believing with for? Right? Like, like do we go light the candle? We're believing. I got faith. I'm believing for my miracle. Hey, hey, no, I'm believing for my miracle. Can you, can, can, can you pray with me on it? Because I'm believing for my miracle. Sure, sure, sure. I'll pray with you. But, you know, we don't know if it's God's will for you to receive your healing. What? Jesus died for that one and not for me? I, I, I thought that, that it was a promise for everybody. Who are we bringing into our faith prayer? People who put the lid on faith? While we were at the youth retreat, the camp director, her name is Christy. Her and her husband, they have two boys. And um, she was sharing her testimony. And she was sharing how her and her husband had difficulty conceiving. When they finally conceived, everything was going well. They get to the hospital, and uh, all of a sudden, all the nurses start running. All these issues, all these things come, and they lay her on her side. They're like, we need to take you into surgery right away. We need an emergency C-section at this instant to save the baby. And, and, and she was like, what do you mean? I need my phone. I got I to gotta reach out to my prayer partner. I got to reach out to my sister, my, I, I, I think. And, and so they take her in, and, 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 and the baby's born, and they pull the baby out, and they immediately rush him, intubate him, put him into NICU, was NICU for 26 or 27 days all kinds of diagnosis she put the list of all these diagnoses by the way i'll go I'll skip to the end god showed up the little boy is is everything that they said that he'd never walk that he'd never do all these things he plays basketball he's on a basketball team he loves god i mean god did all these great things but watch wait that, that, that's the end she says that they were there she says that at one point she looked at her husband and said, can we just take him? Let's just take him. We're, let's, just, let's, let's take him. And like, we can't. We're, we're and there was this one doctor that would walk in and give every diagnosis and everything that this kid was going to not be able to do and die from. So much so that her and her husband labeled him Dr. Doom. <laughs> and you know what they did? They went over to the nurse station and they said, that doctor is not allowed in our room again. Because every time he came, unbelief crept in. And they were believing and standing on a prophetic word that they had received when they got pregnant, when they knew they were pregnant and hadn't told anybody yet. Come on, everybody here been pregnant. You don't tell anybody for a while. You're, you're, you're just husband and wife. Only they knew. They walked into church one day 
And this little old lady that they knew, that he respected, came up to him and said, hey, by the way, I had a dream with you. And you guys had a son. He was sitting right next to you, dad. And, and he looked exactly like you. And let me tell you, this little boy is a copy and paste of his dad, like legit. Like they said that even with all the tubes, the nurses would come by and say, dad, you don't need a paternity test. Hey, that means you're copy. So what did they do? They were standing on that word. They were standing on that promise. So they cast out of the room anyone who spoke the opposite, who spoke unbelief. It is imperative who we surround ourselves with. We have this thing at times of like, no, 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 no. The more people praying, the better. That's only accurate if all the people praying believe the same way. That's like doing tug of war, and you got somebody that instead of tugging to pull the rope is trying to tug it back the other way, trying to trip you. You're here trying to pull it, and they're like, stop, stop, (laughs) trying to knock you down. Sometimes we feel bad. How do I not tell this person? They're my best friend. They might be your best friend. When everything is great, but not the person to rely on when you're praying for a miracle. And don't feel bad about that. Be released in the name of Jesus from guilt or condemnation. How can I not tell this person? Well, if that person does not believe that Jesus can do it. Jesus didn't take all 12 into the room. As a matter of fact, reading the book of Acts, I believe it's the story of when Tabitha dies, where Peter walks in with a couple of disciples, and it says that they kicked everybody out of the room and prayed, and God brought her back to life. Again, eliminating the ones that didn't believe. It is imperative our, our allowing people who don't believe the same way limits us. So now I ask this question. How do we overcome unbelief? Because unbelief comes. Doubts creep in. We're going to talk about doubts later on. But unbelief comes. How do we overcome it? Go back to Mark 9. I told you we'd go back to Mark 9. Again, Jesus cast out the demon. The little boy is healed, and in verse 28, it says, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? Pretty legitimate question. I mean, again, they had been commissioned. They might have also asked, Why didn't you take us up the mountain? Jesus says to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some manuscripts say by prayer and fasting. So I want to tell you three things to overcome unbelief in our lives. Number one, we overcome unbelief by standing on the word of God. This is why at 3W Church, we highly encourage the daily reading of the word of God. Daily reading of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
is it wrong to listen to preachings of pastor so-and-so and so-and-so? Not necessarily, but if you're fighting a battle and what you're standing on is the preaching of another person, there's a problem. Go to the direct source. Do you know, wow, the Lord just gave me this example right now. Do you know that there are limitations on how far internet connectivity can flow depending on the cabling? Do you know there is a distance of how the quality of the microphone is going to sound depending on the length of the cabling? Like, we don't run a cable that's a thousand feet long because if you run a thousand foot long cable, the quality's not the same. And when you and I are only depending on what people say, well, what happens is we lose out on quality based on their experience. You and I need to get in the word. Here's another reason why you and I need to get into the word of God. If I ever say anything that goes opposite of what the word of God says, watch now, I'm wrong and the word of God is right. But if you don't read the word of God, how would you know? We stand on the word of God. We believe based on what the word of God says. And number two and three, they go together, but they're separate. We overcome unbelief by praying and by fasting. Watch. Some theologians will tell you that Jesus is referring there to that specific demon. This kind, this demon only comes out by prayer or fasting. That could be it. But the way I read it as I read through that, what did Jesus deal with the most in that passage? The unbelief. What did Jesus say to the guy when the guy said, have mercy if you want, if you can? Jesus said, if you can, if you can believe. And the guy says, I believe, help my unbelief. Watch, I'm not making this up. Right before this, when Jesus arrived from where? Chapter 8 says they were at the Mount of Transfiguration. Sorry, the beginning of chapter 9. Took Peter, James, and John up the mountain. Not everybody else. Those three, they had been praying all night long. The, 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 the Moses had showed up. Elijah had showed up. The voice of God had said, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. And they come down the mountain and find nine disciples, more than nine, because Jesus had more than 12, arguing because they weren't able to cast it out. Why couldn't we do it? Pray and fast. Ask me, Pastor, do you like fasting? Nope. I wish the spiritual discipline was eating. It'd be easier. Yeah. Go eat rice, beans, and steak, and I will speak to you. No, it's this fast. But it's a spiritual discipline. I deprive myself of that food in order to 
spend time with God and receive from him and be able to believe. And the truth is, we all deal with moments of unbelief. After one of the services at the youth retreat this week, I pulled my daughter over. Abigail was there. It was her first youth retreat. I'm going to try to say it without crying this time. And I said, Mama, do you know what I do when I have moments of doubt? Do you know what I do? I'll preface it with, those who have heard our testimony, we were told by doctors we couldn't have kids. And for about six months, I was in faith. I'm air quoting it if you're listening to it as a podcast. I was in faith, air quotes. But I had a whole lot of unbelief. In December 19 of 2009, when my wife and I really took a stand... And started doing things in faith to activate our faith. December 19, 2009. She had just gotten her menstrual cycle. After thinking that maybe we were pregnant because she was late. Out of all places, at a baby shower. Jesus. We activated our faith and we prayed. We cried, we prayed, we repented. And we said, we're going to believe did all kinds of prophetic things. There's a whole preaching on it. You can go listen to it on our page. But February 16 of 2007, I heard Abigail's heartbeat. I'm sorry, of 2010, I heard Abigail's heartbeat for the first time. And I recorded it. So I said, Abigail, when I have moments of difficulty, when I'm having a bad day, I open my computer and I listen to your heartbeat. It reminds me to believe again. And she said, for real, Dad? I said, absolutely. I have every one of Abigail's heartbeats recorded. All the one till October 7th, which was two days before she was born. And they encouraged me to believe again, to cast out the unbelief. I'm being vulnerable with you because I deal with it too. Because the enemy plays dirty and he tries to remind you of what you prayed for and you didn't get. And he tries to, 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 to prick you with you of like you're missing out on this and look at the promise and you haven't received it. But no, 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 no. Unbelief, you got to go. And so I listen to that little freight train because that's what it sounds like. I believe again and I fight again and I say help my unbelief because unbelief will extinguish our faith and we need faith let's stand to our feet Father right now in the name of Jesus 
Lord, I collectively pray together, collectively pray a prayer of repentance for our unbelief. And Father, right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, as you ask us or you make that statement like you said to that father, if you can, Lord, I know you look at us and say, yes, I can do this if you can believe. And Father, like that father, we say to you right now, I believe, but help my unbelief. Heal my heart from the things that I haven't received, God, that I may believe again. Fan the flame in me, God, of faith in Jesus' name. To believe. In Jesus' name. This is what I want you to do. I challenge you, whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching online. As the team begins to lead us into worship, I want you to have individual time with God. There's some of you that as I just repented corporately, all of us, you, you need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you for, for the cynicism, for the lack of belief, for the area of unbelief that has quenched the flame of faith. And God's going to heal your heart right now. God's going to heal your mind right now. Some of you, you've suffered loss, and that loss has made you not believe that he can do it. But right now, in the name of Jesus, ask him, heal me from that loss. Heal me from that pain that I might believe again. And I believe in the name of Jesus, there is healing coming all around this sanctuary right now. And unbelief is leaving our bodies. It's leaving our minds. And we're strengthened to believe again in Jesus' name.